Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Traditions are important at Christmas, aren't they? Like they're a part of it. Like you, you start these, these different things that you do. Like you, you decorate, like a tradition around here is we, we decorate the church. Didn't it look awesome when you came in today? I mean, the, the group of folks that decorate the church just looks so, so cool. I mean, that's, that's a tradition. You're going to decorate at home. You'll do certain things. Christmas extravaganza last night, that's a tradition. We do that every year. It's an opportunity for us to partner and be involved in what God's doing around the world. The issue for me is when traditions at Christmas start to become routine. Like when they just become commonplace and they lose the meaning and the value of what Christmas is really all about. Sometimes I kind of have to check myself in that area. I, I don't want to lose the wonder. This Christmas, we're, we're going to take a little bit of a different look at the Christmas story. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1, whether you have it in a print or a digital form. Um, we're going to look at the Christmas story a little differently. We're still going to talk about the kind of the classic stories. We'll talk about Mary and Joseph and, and the angels. We'll, we'll talk about Herod and the wise men and the shepherds. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get to the manger. Like We'll look at all those different stories. But I want to look at it from the Apostle John's vantage point a little bit these next couple of weeks. See, Matthew and Luke, those two gospels, tell us the stories that we know, the traditional stories that we know about Christmas. They tell us about the shepherds, the wise men, the angels, all those, those different parts of the story. The gospel of Mark really doesn't touch on Jesus' birth at all, but, but John does. But John does it in a way that we wouldn't expect. Like He doesn't deal with all the characters and the narrative of the story. He gets right to what happened in the heavens. Like he talks about the spiritual side of what happened when Jesus came. And we're going to look at a few verses today, John chapter 1, verses 9 through, through 14. We're going to take a look at those. And as we do, I want to ask you three questions for Christmas. I just want to move through this uh, few verses of Scripture today. And as we do, focus on what John says about when Jesus came and, and apply it then to our lives as we get into this busy season and ask you three questions for Christmas. Let's start. John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He says that Jesus was the true light, and the light cuts through the darkness, and it helps us to see, and it shows us what matters. And he says Jesus was the true light, and he came into the world, actually a world that he created, John says here, and yet they didn't recognize him. My question for you, will you recognize Jesus this Christmas? As we get into this busy Christmas season, my, my question for you is, will you recognize Jesus this Christmas? Do you ever see people you know and yet not recognize them? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Just me? Like, I, I remember, this has got to be, I mean, it's at least 10 years ago or more. I can remember one Sunday after, after church on a, on a Sunday morning, in the old building on Glendale, I had finished preaching walked off the platform, was walking down the aisle, and this, this person comes walking up to me, and I saw them, and there was this moment where you just kind of go, I think I know them. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, how do, I, how do I know this person? I've known this person my whole life. 
Like, like we grew up in the same church. I've known her. Like, I, I can't think of a time when I did not know her. I knew her my whole life, but she doesn't live in Toledo. She doesn't go to Calvary. She, she, you know, she, she was just kind of passing through and visiting, decided to come to church. I didn't know she was going to be there. So she comes walking up the aisle, and I'm walking down. And my, my head didn't connect to, hey, there's childhood friend. Instead, I looked at her, and as it dawned on me who she was, the words that came out of my mouth were, what are you doing here? Which I don't think is the greeting that, that you should use. Like, you can try harder, Chad. You're better than that, right? But it was like, you, you don't belong in this place. Like, I was trying to connect it all. And I literally, in the midst of the craziness of the environment around me in that moment, I had to stop and go, who is this? How do I know them? Why does their life mean something in my life? Like, like I had to process all of this in that moment, I think the same thing happens at Christmas, right? We know Jesus, we, we kind of acknowledge him, but we get so busy with so many other things at Christmas that I wonder if we recognize him for who he really is in the Christmas season. Or if we can move right past, I'd encourage you, it might be a good time for you to stop and, and focus somewhere in these next few weeks on who Jesus really is. Who, who is he? How, how do we recognize him? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. One, recognize Jesus as creator. Right? This is a part of what John says to us. He says that he came into the world, and it was a world that was made through him. Like he was the creator. This word keeps coming up. If you remember, when we were in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, over and over again, used this to refer to God. That was the title that he used when he talked about God. He talked about God as the creator, as the one who made everything. And it's a powerful title if we'll try to grasp what it means. See, the world was made by him. So that means that he's the creator and I'm the creation. And it puts our relationship in perspective. He is the master craftsman and you are his great masterpiece. So it changes things when I recognize, especially at Christmas, that he's the creator and I'm the creation. It means that he's greater than your challenges. That's a good word, isn't it? It means that he's stronger than the physical issues that you wrestle with. That's good to know, isn't it? He has a resource for your financial struggles. That's helpful information, isn't it? No one's awake in this room. That's too bad, isn't it? <laughs> right? This is a good thing. Like you recognize that he is the creator. Here's the deal. When you see this, when you go, he's the creator and I'm the creation, it changes the way that you think about yourself. Right? That's really important. You see this modeled when you go to scripture. Because when you look at what different biblical authors call themselves in light of who God is, in light of recognizing who Jesus is, it gives you a unique perspective. Let, let me talk to you a little bit about one we don't talk about that often. There's a little book in the New Testament. It's only about 25 verses, one chapter, 25 verses. It's, it's at the very end of the Bible. It's the second to last book. If you're on your way to Revelation, it's the last stop before you get there, right? So if you go to the book of Revelation, make a left turn, it's the book of Jude. Little book, 25 verses. A lot of times we don't talk about it, we breeze right past it. When, when Jude wrote this letter, he was writing to a church that was dealing with all these, these issues of heresy, people problems, different things. He wrote this, Jude chapter one, verse one. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, 
and kept for Jesus Christ. It's interesting, he, he identifies himself by God's love and by Jesus' keeping in his life. And it's interesting that he gives, he gives some street cred to himself out there. He says, I'm a brother of James. That might not mean much to you, but it meant a lot to people back then because James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the most prominent figures in early Christianity. And Jude says, look, I am the brother of James, and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Like, I recognize who he is. And I know that he is the creator, and I am his creation. And I wasn't made to live life on my own. I was made life to live for him. My life is not my own. It belongs to him. And so when I make my decisions, when I choose how I'm going to live, when I determine my priorities, in those moments, I do well to be reminded that I'm a servant of Jesus Christ because he made me for a great purpose. I am the creation. He is the creator. Now, we don't always stress that at Christmas, but it might be really important to talk about in this season Here's what I've found in my life. There's, there's certain times in my life when I'm, when I'm kind of more prone to make bad choices. Like there's certain situations, conditions, environments, circumstances, when I might be more inclined to do things that I regret. Anybody ever done anything that they regret? You ever been able to kind of go, oh yeah, I, I know the, the places when I'm in a place when I'm, prone to do something I'm going to regret. I've done a lot of things I regret. You've done some, right? I've done some. Want to hear about mine? You go first. Oh, wait, you told me about the drive-in. Yeah, that's right. I ain't telling you. It's none of your business. But I'll tell you some of those situations. I can be prone to make bad choices when I'm really busy or when I'm tired or when I'm hungry or when I'm feeling really emotional, or maybe when I'm lonely, or when I'm kind of disappointed. Sometimes I'm prone to make bad decisions when I'm with the wrong people, and sometimes I'm prone to make bad decisions when I'm with the right people to make bad decisions. Does that make sense? <laughs> right, now here's the deal. You think about all those things that I just mentioned. Aren't you all of those things at the holidays? Like at the holidays, isn't life crazy and you're busy? Don't you find yourself tired at times? Don't you find yourself hungry? Like, I'm hungry all of December. Anybody? <laughs> not because there's not food to eat. I just want more. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, all these things, it's an emotional season. For many of us, it's a lonely season. For many, it's a season where our disappointments get amplified. We find ourselves in situations in the office, at a work party, with our family, in moments when temptation or anger or fear or loss, all those things come in. And I have to be mindful of the fact that all these conditions where you and I can be prone to do things and make choices and decisions that we might someday go back and go, I wish I hadn't done that or I wish I regret that. The, the season is ripe to do this for the next few weeks. You know, it helps me to live my life with wisdom and make good choices when I remember he's the creator and I'm the creation. And when I say, God, I don't live my life for myself. I don't live it for me. I live it for you, God. And that changes everything. When I remember that he's the creator, I recognize him in that way. And let me give you another aspect of this. Not only do we recognize Jesus as creator, but we recognize Jesus as Lord. We recognize Jesus as creator. We also recognize Jesus as Lord. Do you remember we, we were talking a little bit, quoting some stuff out of the book of Jude. Remember this little book, 25 verses, 
end of the New Testament, kind of next to the last stop just before Revelation, tiny little book, 25 verses. So Jude writes, and he also says this about Jesus as our Lord. And listen, listen to the language. He's, he's talking about trouble in the church, but listen to how he describes Jesus. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and watch this language here, and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Those are some some pretty strong words that he uses. He describes Jesus as sovereign. That means he's the one who's in control. That means that he's the one that, that has all authority and he has all power. He's the one who makes the decisions and calls the shots. He is sovereign and he's our Lord. Meaning that knowing that he is sovereign, then I entrust my life to him. Knowing that he is in control of everything, then I say that I find my purpose and my life finds meaning in who he is. In fact, it's interesting that that we talk about this today and at Christmas because we, we need to recognize that our life is accountable to no one but him. He is our sovereign and he's our Lord. And at the end of the day, your life, the things in your life that will matter, the only things that will matter are the things that you live in your family, in your workplace, in your life, in your goals, the things that you do that please him. We, we probably have a good analogy of this as we think about it in this season because it's funny how we think about Santa in this way, right? Because we think about this all the time, that you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Go ahead, help me, because... You really shouldn't sing that in church. <laughs> but what do we say about him? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been so be good for goodness. Right? We know all that, right? We, we say that. Shouldn't we be more motivated by the one who created us than by Santa Claus? No, look, I ain't saying anything bad about... Santa, that's, that's fun, and I'm not going to say any more about Santa, actually, because I don't know what everyone in the room believes, right? And so we'll, we'll, just, we'll just leave it there. I don't want to wreck Christmas. But here's the deal. Like, do we recognize that our lives are accountable to God? He's not only the creator, but our lives only find purpose and meaning when we recognize him as our Lord we, we use an analogy, we talk about this from time to time, and maybe even to the point that, that, that it might be a little overused, but sometimes when we talk about Jesus being our Lord, my friend Larry describes it this way. He says, it's like, it's like you choose to give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, and you recognize that you're no longer in control, and you let him put his hands on the wheel, and you recognize that you're in the passenger seat, and that Jesus is in the driver's seat, and you let him steer and direct and guide your life. It's not that you've given up. It's not that you're out of the car. It's not that you're invested. The deal is this. You know that you're on a journey. You just know that ultimately you're not in a position to be the one who's going to drive this thing well. And so you say, Jesus, I entrust to you the steering wheel of my life. You direct me. You guide me. You be the Lord. And usually when we talk about that, we talk about that in the context, or at least where my mind goes, in the context of our decisions. 
right? I let him make my decisions. I let him choose. In times when I might swerve to the left or the right, I trust him to guide the direction of of giving clarity to where my life is going and of helping me not to make bad decisions that I'm going to regret later. That's how we often think about this as Lord. And then this this other concept struck me as I was was thinking about this. My, My spiritual gift is that I'm a backseat driver. Anybody else? Like, like if we're in a vehicle and I'm not in the driver's seat, I am insufferable. I know I should have therapy, right? I, it's, it's a, it's, it, would the control freaks in the room give me an amen? Anybody else? All right, so you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's, it's my, my family, they're all good drivers. If we go on a long road trip, we know at some point we've got to switch. But if I'm not in the driver's seat, it drives me crazy. I've got this imaginary pedal, anybody? Right? And I'm, I mean, I'm, I just, I have a hard time. And like, if we, it used to be just Rhonda and I that were driving, but as our kids have gotten older and we've got a bunch of drivers now we can pull from, if we're all going someplace together, it's really cool. But if I'm, if I'm swapping out, you know, I might go to the, the passenger seat or it might be like, hey, if it's a long trip, why, why, don't, why don't I, you know, I'm getting a little sleepy. Why don't I close my eyes for a little bit? Somebody else drive. I can never sleep because I'm still driving from back there because I'm a fantastic driver in my mind. Anybody else? Right, it's my spiritual gift. I'm a backseat driver. Except that, this has been, int- I was thinking about this. Except when I've, when I've gone on a couple, I've gone on a couple of long trips with, uh, with my friend Nick. A couple of long road trips, stuff that kind of Calvary related, different things. And whenever I've done that, and Nick's been in the driver's seat, and I've been in the passenger seat, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, I can't stay awake when Nick's driving. It's not because Nick is boring. If you met Nick, you would know he's anything but boring. It's just for whatever reason, when his hands are on the wheel, I, I just have this sense of peace. Like, I know he's a good driver, and I know that I, that I can trust that he's got his eyes on the road and that he's going to do his best to get us there safely. And for whatever reason, when Nick's driving, I don't have any trouble trusting him and finding some peace. I, I talked to him about this after the last service and mentioned that. And I said, man, I kind of feel bad about how many times I've fallen asleep on you when we've been driving. And he said to me, well, what you don't know is that when you take a nap, I usually do too. <laughs> like, Thanks, Nick. That's great. <laughs> the deal is this. I find peace and rest when I know I can trust the guy who has his hand on the wheel. And when I'm trying to go through life and do all the driving for myself, I usually get pretty upset and stressed out. But when I know that I can trust the guy who's sitting in the driver's seat, it brings a whole lot more peace and rest to my life. Does this make sense? Look, especially in this season, I know it can be a season of chaos and it can be a season of challenges and it can be a season of issues and you've got all kinds of things and disappointment, all those kind of things. Can I just encourage you, in this season, would you be willing to trust the person who's in the driver's seat? And say, Jesus, I recognize that you are my creator and you are my Lord. So in those moments when things don't go your way, in those moments when the timing of Christmas just doesn't seem to be quite right, in those moments when you, when you burn the dessert and you think that, that you've wrecked Christmas, in those times when Amazon Prime says it's not going to be two days, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Trust the guy that's in the driver's seat. And be willing to accept the peace and rest that comes from knowing that your Lord and your creator is in control of it all. 
Question number one, will you recognize Jesus this Christmas? Here's the second question. Let's go back to the Gospel of John, right? This is John talking about when Jesus came. John chapter one, verse 11. He says that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. First, he said that they didn't recognize him, and then he says that when his, his own saw him, that when he came to those who were his own, his own did not receive him. They didn't receive him for who he was. And I thought about this because the question for me is, will you receive Jesus this year? This Christmas, number two, will you receive Jesus this Christmas? Like not just recognize him, focus on who he is as creator and Lord, but will you receive what he has for you? Because when I use the words receive and Christmas in the same sentence, my mind goes right to gift giving. Whether I'm the one giving or I'm the one receiving, I know this, that there are gifts that are given and you need to acknowledge those gifts. Sometimes they're gifts we want. Can I get an amen? Sometimes they're gifts we don't want. And so then we just say, thank you, I love it, and repent and ask for forgiveness later, right? But what do you do with a gift? Well, you, you, you're gracious about it, you open it. Look, I think there's gifts that Jesus gives to us. And my question is, will you receive them this year? Like, receive the love of Jesus. Receive the love of Jesus that he has to give to you. That, that's why he came in the first place. What, what do we, we, John 3, 16. For God so loved that he gave. Let, let's go back to Jude. Remember, we're talking about this little book, Jude, End of the New Testament, just for the book of Revelation, about 25 verses. Here's what Jude says about the love of Jesus. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. He says that we have a love from God that we can receive. He says, actually, keep yourselves in that love. Know that love. Experience that love. Ultimately, identify yourself based on the love of Jesus Christ. It's not a love that you've deserved. It's not a love that you've earned. It's not based on how well you've performed or whether or not you've let other people down. It's not based on the mistakes you made. We talked about this last week, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners... Not once we were wrapped up with a bow on top, but while we were still sinners, that's when Jesus died for us. Why was that? Because he loves us. That's a love that's for us. And I would encourage you, let that love be what defines you. I, I've, I've noticed this year, probably more than ever, like both people that I know locally and then people that I know in other parts of the country, they've been posting pictures of their, uh, like, like work or, or business or family or sometimes church Christmas parties. And I've never noticed this before, but like this year, a whole bunch of them, they're like dressing up in like character outfits or whatever for their Christmas parties. Like I know a friend that their whole, their whole staff Christmas party was all based around the Charlie Brown Christmas or people have been dressing up like their favorite movie characters, you know, from Christmas movies and stuff. And it's been kind of fun to look and see. And I thought, hey, next Sunday, let's all dress like elves. Everybody Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you, you go first again, right? So, no, nah, we're not doing that. But I thought about this. The reality is, for a lot of us, that is how we go through the holidays. Like, we dress ourselves up with a certain identity in a certain way that we want to portray to other people. But we put certain things on ourselves that maybe aren't so healthy or ultimately, honestly, might not even be true. Like we make our identity what we think other people think about us. Or we make our identity how well we think we've performed. 
or we set up our identity, and it's a tough time at Christmas, right? Because oftentimes, all of your inadequacies get pointed out in this season because you might be around friends and family that show you the things you don't like about yourself, or you might be around people who, whether they mean it or not, are the ones that say things or do things that make you feel low or put you down in some way or demean you in some way, or you wrestle with all these different things. And what Jude reminds us of is you're supposed to keep yourselves in God's love. That your identity is found in the fact that you are a daughter and a son of God. And that Jesus loved you so much that he would give his very life for you. That's why we not only receive his love at Christmas, but can I encourage you with this? Receive Jesus as Savior. If if I'm going to ask you to receive Jesus this Christmas, will you receive him? Then you receive the fact that he is the Savior of your life. That when Jesus came, and we we always talk about this at at, at Christmas, he not only, the the story isn't just that he came and was born in a manger, but that little baby lived a life without sin. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine because he loved us so much. And by dying on the cross and paying that price, he offered his salvation, he offered his forgiveness, he offered us hope, and he offered us life. And the reason is, and don't miss this this Christmas, it starts in the manger, but it's because of God's unbelievable love for you. Not for perfect you, not for beautiful you, not for never failed you but for you just as you are. And he loved you so much that he gave such a costly gift to you. Last few years, receiving gifts has has taken on a a new, like humbling form for me. Rhonda and I have had three kids and and, uh, for years it's, you know, they're, they're little and we're the ones that are, Dishing out all the cash for Christmas. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right, you know what that's like. But as our kids have gotten older, they've, they've gotten lives and, and money of their own. And, and that's been kind of cool. And so now there's been a couple times, Christmas, birthday, a couple different, different places, where, where they've, they've been like putting their money together, buying something special for the old man. Like, they've been thinking of things that they know I would never buy for myself, that I kind of would want, you know, like, I don't walk around the house, like, like hinting at things or make sure the computer screen is left to certain items. You know, it's not that kind of thing. But they just kind of know, that's oh, probably something Dad would like. And then they'll put their money together and, and have, a couple times now have, have bought me things that I would never buy for myself. You know, I don't know how they know. I mean, if they want a list, I'm happy to give it to them. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> do that. Like, a couple years ago, they, they bought me a recliner. Like, they put their money together. I never had a recliner. I was always going, oh, I'd like one someday, but I didn't, I didn't need one, and they probably just would have messed it up when they were little. So it's like, you know, it's, it's cool now. You know, they bought me this recliner, and I got in it, and now I never want to get out of it. It's so wonderful because my loyal subjects have finally bought me the throne I deserve. It was awesome, you know? And then they roll their eyes and walk out of the room. But it's humbling that that they would show their love for me by sacrificing so that I could have something special to know that love back in my life. Can you think of what God did in sending his only son from the glories of heaven literally into the scum of earth, from righteous heaven into sinful earth, in the form of a baby, 
to live a life without sin so that he could be treated unfairly, die undeservedly, so that you could see and know just how much he loves you. With that comes forgiveness. That identity we've talked about, those things that you've carried, those inadequacies, those failures, those sins, those mistakes, those doubts. And look, there's not a one of us who in our quiet moments don't have some guilt and shame that comes knocking at our door. The reason God sent his son is so that you would, let's go back to that word, so that you would receive the gift of his love and Jesus as your savior so you could know the forgiveness that only he could bring for something you never could have done on your own. Questions for you this year. Will you recognize Jesus this Christmas? Will you receive Jesus this Christmas? Last one, third one. Let's, uh, let's go back to the text. John chapter one, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name. There's, there's your word right there. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. My question, third question, will you believe Jesus this year? Number three, will you believe in Jesus this year? The word believe gets a lot of mileage at the Christmas season. Like oftentimes we tag it into our Christmas songs. You see it in so many different places. It really shows up. And these aren't, these aren't bad things. These are good things. Like culturally, in the way that we celebrate the fun things we do, the stories we tell at Christmas, that idea of believing comes into it a lot, doesn't it? Like any of you ever seen the Polar Express? Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Yeah. All those annoying kids on the train, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's about believing, isn't it? What's the Frosty story? The story of Frosty the Snowman is the kids believed that he was more than just a snowman. The story of Rudolph is that Santa believed that that red nose of his was gonna get him through the night. Many of you actually believe that Hallmark movies are good. Like there's these things that we believe <laughs> during this time. What's the movie? It's a Wonderful Life, right? Remember It's a Wonderful Life? What's a, it's a little Susu that, sh that she says, teacher says, every time a bell rings, right? That's not in the Bible, just so you know. Right? It's not in the Bible. And then there's that great theological masterpiece, Elf. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the best way to spread Christmas cheer, anybody, is... <laughs> no. <laughs> Singing loud for all to hear, right? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's all this idea of that we believe. And that's fun. But what are we really supposed to believe at Christmas? John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. That's an interesting word. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. What should we believe? At Christmas, believe that God came to earth in human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is when we use the term the incarnation, that's what this is all about, that Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to earth, to sinful earth, to lowly earth. And this makes all the difference 
Because, because how, how else could God prove that he really loves us? He proved it by taking this incredible step and God became man and took on flesh so that he could be Emmanuel. We use that term, right, at Christmas, God with us. Because I don't know that you really love me until you show me. Right, talk is cheap sometimes, amen? Like, you know people who like will tell you they love you, but then they really don't show it? Like, there's people in your life that are like, hey man, whatever you need, I'm, I'm there for you. Dude, if you need something, you just call me. And then you're moving. And you call them. Hey, man, I'm, I'm moving. You think you'd help me? And right away, they're like, oh, man, I think I got something that day. Haven't even told you what day yet. Right? Or you're like, hey, I could use a little help with something. You, you know, could you help me out? And they're like, ah, I'd like to, but I, mm, I got to wash my hair. And you're like, dude, you're bald. Right? And you got these, like, issues. You, you don't know someone loves you until they're willing to come and be in your presence and say, I'm here for you. God sent his son to take on human flesh. And you believe that he did that? And here's what else I would challenge you to believe. Believe that we will see his glory. Believe that this Christmas we will see his glory. What, what did John 1.14 say? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. The angels saw his glory. The shepherds saw it. The, the wise men saw the star. They saw the glory of God with their physical eyes. There's a good chance you might not see it with your spiritual eyes, but I think you can see it and sense it with your spiritual eyes. You can sense it in your heart this Christmas because the glory of God was all of a sudden it all makes sense and it all clicks and you sense his love for you and you realize who he is and how that has the power to change everything. I love how John says this, that when he took on flesh, that's when we saw his glory. Bible, the Bible talks a lot about Jesus' family at Christmas, right? We talk about Mary, and we talk about Joseph, and we talk about all the unique family dynamics that are in the first couple chapters of Luke and Matthew. And then after that, you don't hear a whole lot more about his family. In fact, you, know, you hear the birth story, and then we get a little snapshot of his life at 12 years old, and then we really don't hear anything else about Jesus until he's in his 30s. And yet, what's good to know is that Mary and Joseph, you know, who are married now, have, have other children. They have a family, not just Jesus, but the Bible tells us that they had other children. We read this, it's in, the, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, and in the Gospel of Mark, it says this. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus was going back to his hometown, right? He's, he's, he's visiting the hometown. He's going to preach. And the people in his hometown say this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Have you, have you ever felt like people who knew you well didn't think very highly of you? You ever felt like they just kind of put you down? Oh, look who's, who's rolling into town. Preacher Jesus. Isn't he just the carpenter? He thinks he's a big deal. I, I know his mom. I saw his brothers just the other day. I know his sisters. And it says that they took offense of him. They didn't recognize him. They did not receive him. They did not believe in him. Where the story gets even more tragic is it wasn't just his neighbors and the people that he bumped into in the grocery store. 
There was this time where Jesus was supposed to go to Jerusalem for one of the big festivals, and he thought it wasn't good for him to be there publicly because he had so much opposition, and so he was chatting it up at home, and it says this, John chapter 7, verse 2, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you remember that he's got brothers, right? These aren't just like his bros, these are his physical brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, we like know their names. It says, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one wants to become a public figure and acts in secret. Since you're doing all these things, show yourself to the world. Verse five, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. You, you can kind of hear the sarcasm, ridicule, and, and contempt in their voice, can't you? All right, bro, you're such a hot shot. Go show off. Go, go show your disciples who you are. For even his brothers did not believe in him. It's kind of tragic. It makes me sad when I read that. Like, because there's, there's Jesus, the son of God. And even the people who grew up under his roof didn't recognize who he was until somewhere something happened. Like somewhere along the way, there was a, there was a change. Do you remember the, the book of Jude that we were just reading a few minutes ago? Remember that book, tiny little book, about 25 verses near the end of the New Testament, like just before Revelation? Do you remember that? Okay, I hope so. <laughs> Do you remember what Jude said? Jude said that he had a brother named James. Well, that James is the James that we read about in Mark 6. See, James, who wrote the book of James, is the brother of Jesus. The head of the church in Jerusalem is the brother of Jesus. And I was reading the book of James not too long ago, and I got to chapter 2, and right at the beginning of chapter 2, James refers to Jesus as our glorious Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever called your brother glorious? Like, it's not a term we use. You've called your brother a lot of other names, right? We talked about forgiveness already. You've called your brother a lot of other names, but not glorious. And I said to myself, what happened? Somewhere, James had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ that changed his life because, help me out here, he chose to believe. James, the, the, the head of the church in Jerusalem, had a brother named Jude. Do you remember that? Jude, little book, end of the New Testament. You know what I'm talking about? So if James, the brother of Jesus, has a brother named Jude, that that means that Jude also has a brother whose name is anybody? So Jude, little book, end of the New Testament, is the brother of Jesus, who in John chapter 7 says, go at it, bro. I don't even believe in you. And now when you get to the book of Jude, did you see what happened? In the book of Jude, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Not I'm a brother of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. But he's my creator and he is my sovereign and my Lord. See, when he believed, he recognized Jesus for who he really was. And then he received what Jesus had for him because he doesn't say, my brother's got my back. He says, Jesus has given me his love and his mercy. And my identity is in the fact that he's my savior and my Lord. And then he says, I want you to believe in him because that changes everything. Jude, who at one point could not see Jesus for who he was, when he saw his glory, recognized, received him, believed in him, and everything changed. 
In fact, at the end of the book of Jude, last two verses, he prays this prayer for the church that he's writing to. He gives them this benediction. Jude chapter one, verse 25, he says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. I think if I was Jude, I'd have, I'd have put a little note in there. I'd have said something like, through Jesus Christ, comma, my big brother, comma. Like, I think I might have done that. But he didn't. Because it wasn't about him. It was about him. This Christmas, will you believe? Will you receive his love and his forgiveness as your savior? Will you recognize him as your creator and as your Lord? Because in doing that, then you can believe and get a glimpse of his glory that I believe could change your life forever. And this Christmas could be different than anyone you've ever had before. I read that passage, verses 24 and 25, quite a bit in preparation for today. I just really felt like God would have us to close out this service by praying the prayer that Jude wrote to that church that day. So I wanna go back and as we wrap up today, I wanna pray through certain portions of that prayer and I'm gonna ask you to pray it with me and I wanna pray this prayer for you today because if there's any time where we need the things that Jude prays for in this passage, it's probably in the next three or four weeks. So he starts out by saying, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You know when I'm prone to stumble? When I'm weary, when I'm busy, when I'm struggling. And there are times in my life, and especially in this season, when I need to say, Jesus, I just need your strength in my life. And I know this might, this might be a little unique for, for some of you, but in these next few moments, I'm gonna ask you to, to help me and to pray with me in, in doing this. And so if you would say, God, and I know it won't be all of you, but I'm sure it's gonna be some of us, whether you're in this room or you're in Auditorium 2 or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, if you would say, Jesus, this Christmas season, I need strength from you. Will you keep me from stumbling in this season? Will you give me your strength? Would you just stand right where you are? If you just said, look, I know what's ahead. I know the busyness. I know the chaos. I know what these next few weeks are going to look like. And you would say, Jesus, would you give me your strength? Stand right where you are. Father, you, you see each one of us that's standing. Lord, and you know the strength that we need from you. God's strength that can only come from you. And so we look to you. We wait on you today. Lord, your word says that those who wait on you, that you'll renew their strength that we'll run and not grow weary, that we'll walk and not faint. God, that you will lift us up with your strength, like eagle's wings. And so God, I pray for those that are standing today that say in this season, in this moment, as this Christmas season moves on, that we need strength from you. God, would you pour out your strength in their life? Would you help them to know in the busyness, the hecticness of things that are going on with Christmas, with school, with work, with family, with friends, God, that they would not only know your strength, but that they would look to you and that you would pour that out in their lives in this season. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and be seated, and I want to I pray through a couple other portions. And, and here, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for anybody to, to stand up. I just think it's interesting that the next part of Jude's prayer says, not only that he would keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. And for some of you, that's, that's huge, because one of the things that you feel a lot of in the Christmas season is fault. Like you feel like you're not good enough or you feel like your mistakes define you or you feel like you're not able to, to measure up to others or maybe sin and shame and, 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 and guilt from the past keep knocking on your door and this is a tough season and you would say, Jesus, what I really need in this season is your grace and mercy because your word says that you can, you can change my life, that you can cleanse me of my, my sins, and I need that from you. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I'm, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to, to raise a hand. I'm just going to ask you in your heart, whether it's for the very first time or whether you can't count how many times you've had to pray this before, that you would join me in this. Father, we thank you that your word says that you are the one who has brought us forgiveness and that, Jesus, we can receive your love. We can know that our sins can be forgiven and that our identity is not in what we've done, but it's in what you've done for us. God, that through your love, we can be forgiven we can know hope, we can know purpose. And God, I just know that some of us are struggling with this. Like we wrestle with who other people say we are or who we think we are or what we've done or what we should have done. And this Christmas season, God, would you help us to recognize that you are the one who can present us in your glorious presence without fault because of what you've done, that we are daughters and sons of God that as your children, we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. He says one other thing that he can give us. He says he can give us great joy. And I know this season has a lot of joy, but I also know that for a lot of people, it has a lot of loss. And when you come to this, when you come to this time, you, you feel like you've lost things that used to be or you've lost experiences or relationships that you once had. Maybe it's literally a physical loss that someone close in your world is not with you this Christmas and you feel that in some way. And you would say, God, it's gonna be hard for me to feel joy without you. And even in the midst of disappointment or loss, I'm asking you to bring joy into my Christmas. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you. Like, this is real. This is real for a lot of people. You just say, God, I need your, your joy this year. Father, we look to you. Lord, your word says that you can bring us great joy. And so, Lord, I pray for those who, who in their hearts need to believe today that you are the one who gives us joy, that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that true joy comes from you. Father, would you pour that out in our homes and in our lives as we trust in you? God, your word says that we can see your glory. So this Christmas, would you help us to see your glory? 
that, Lord, as we believe in you, as we receive you, as we recognize, focus on who you are, God, may this Christmas not pass us by without us knowing you better, without us seeing your glory and recognizing your great love for us as we trust and look to you. Lord, we ask that this Christmas would be a time where we would know you in a way unlike ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. He's so glad that you are here today. Thanks for being with us. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.